Hello, brothers and sisters. It's good to be part of the family of God. Tonight we're going to share some thoughts that we don't discuss very often. We know that uh, we're all in the process of being prepared for heaven. And the last generation is going to have full light. And they will live up to it. It's required to vindicate God and his character and his law. But how do we get there? We have to learn what we have forgotten. So let's dive into it and see what we can find. <clears throat> There's a scripture verse in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 that says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. We're a handful of dirt. We have no life. God breathed life into us. And we became a living soul. So Christ in us is what makes dirt live. How do we learn? When do we learn? Let's start with when do we learn? In the beginning God said... Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, let us make man in our image. But he didn't stop there. He said, after our likeness. So there's a reason why he used two words. Image is defined as appearance. Likeness is defined as manner. Manners are important. Because manners are the rules of conduct. God's rules of conduct are holy and sinless. So Adam and Eve were made holy and sinless in God's likeness. So they were holy and sinless and were clothed in a robe of righteousness. It's referred to as white. Now that's the beginning. Humanity started out holy and sinless. Now, the final generation, we're learning as we go. The final generation will have full understanding and will be living up to it. And that's why in Revelation twenty-two eleven, God says, he that is holy, let him be holy still. Somebody is going to be holy. And he says, stay that way. Okay, these are sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So these are sinners that he's talking to. And he's saying, be holy still. That means these are sinners that are no longer sinning. That's where we're headed. It's called redemption, to be restored to what we fell from. We started out living holy and we end up living holy. Between those two times, we are to learn and return to holy living. And that's what we're going to share tonight, is how that happens. Is it possible to live without sinning? Well, there's a story in the Bible that God uses, Jesus uses, in John 8, verse, starting with verse 1. This story is about a lady who was caught in adultery and had a witness. I mean, this was serious. And the Pharisees brought this woman to Jesus and said, 
Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? Now this was a trick question. Because if he says stoner, he is guilty of murder. And yet, if he says don't stoner, be merciful, then he's breaking the command and the law of Moses. So they thought they had him either way. Well, as, as the moment went on, you know the rest of the story. He wrote some things in the ground, in the, in the sand, and uh, he said, He that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her first. Something was bothering them. They had a conscience which tells you right from wrong. And there were things written in the sand. And they suddenly decided, he who is without sin should cast that first stone. It wouldn't necessarily be any one of them because we've all sinned. So they took off little by little, one by one. They say the oldest first left. And then... In verse 10 it says, When Jesus had lifted himself up and saw none but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. That's mercy. Go and sin no more. What? This flesh-sinning lady, Jesus that knows all things, said to her, do what? Go and sin no more? Was Jesus joking? Jesus was in the flesh like us. And he kept his Father's commandments. And he tells us to do the same. It sounds like it's possible. Because I don't think he was joking. In Hebrews <clears throat> chapter 4 verse 15, we're told, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings or the feeling of our infirmities. He was in the flesh. He could be tempted. He could struggle with temptation. He knew what we were going through. But was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So in the flesh he knew he had a choice not to sin. And he knew we had that choice also. And in uh, Titus, I like uh, chapter 1, verse 2, we're, we're told, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. And we're told that God cannot lie more than once in the Bible. So we need to remember that what we're hearing right now is coming from the mouth of God, the word of God, and he can't lie. So if he says go and sin no more, we need to listen. Now throughout time, sinners who are resting died without keeping all the laws correctly but they're still saved because God judges the heart. 
And like you've heard the story before, an ear of corn this high can be perfect with that development. They're not fully developed, but they're living up to the light they have, and they're looking good. Because God judges the heart. And God knows if there wasn't a drought, that, pe- that stalk of corn would have grown up to be beautiful, because it wanted to be. That's why he judges the heart. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, the God that cannot lie <clears throat> says, Be ye therefore perfect. Ouch. What? I think we've all tried to do good and not done too well. And so, <laughs> is he kidding again? Be ye therefore perfect as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Was he kidding? Let's look a little deeper and find out. Romans 6, verse 23, has two parts. The first part says, the wages of sin is death. Can it get more serious than that? This was not a joke. This is serious. God owns the universe. He created it correctly. He created it rightly. And he will restore it back to righteousness with the lake of fire. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, the God who cannot lie says, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The verse before that, I kind of like, it says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire also. That would be all right with me. But then it says, this is the second death. The second death you don't come back from. We have a just God that can be trusted to do right. God will not allow the loyal angels who lived on faith, didn't know the outcome, but were loyal anyway, to suffer again what the disloyal angels who love sin would do in the earth made new. It wouldn't be fair to say, you behave, and you don't have to be. And you're going to get the prize too. Well, how is that fair? In Romans 6.23, the last part of that, it says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's mercy. You've got justice and mercy. He's a, he's, he's a God of all things. And it's through Jesus Christ that we learn how to be restored. We need a relationship with him. And that relationship requires love both ways. We'll get into that in a moment. It's because he paid for our sins with his life that eternal life is through him. He's a good friend. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, we see, we can see the justice and mercy of God both. Verse 1 says, My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. There it is again. There's something about sin God doesn't want, doesn't tolerate, and he's going to get rid of it, and we better be paying attention, because if we are the last generation, 
we're going to have full light. And, and we're expected to live up to it. We're going to be that little stock of corn that has corn on it, fully developed. So, that ye sin not, I say these things. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So there's our mercy again. But when we mature into the fullness of Christ, something changes. Again, I say it's mostly considered at the end of time, the final generation. Goes on in verse 2 and says, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is no respecter of persons. He loves everybody. And that's something we need to remember when we're saying we're a Christian, Christ-like. And the, ver the third verse says, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So there's something about the commandments that connect us with Christ and salvation. Verse 4 says, He that says, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. I think that's trying to get our attention. And the truth is not in him. That's, that's something to consider. Verse 5 goes on and says, But whosoever, but whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Very, very important to, to dig into that. There again is the word love. Can't do it without love. Both directions. He loves us, we love him. And it's the love of God that perfects us. So without that, we might not be perfect. So we need that relationship restored. Hereby know that we are in him. Verse 6, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Well, how did Jesus walk in the fallen flesh as our example? He walked holy and sinless. And then he says, go and sin no more. He's serious. We need to think about that. Maybe we don't have to sin. Maybe we do have a choice. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34 says, Awake to righteousness, awake and sin not. So this whole, this whole Bible is trying to tell us sin not, but is saying if you don't think you can put sin aside, then wake up. In other words, change your mind. Listen to God, believe God, he can't lie. If he says sin not, it's time to wake up and change your thinking, not his. Acts 17, verse 30. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So when the stock of corn was small, there were things they didn't know. They didn't have a print press. They didn't have copies of the Bible in their hands. They did the best they could with what they knew, and God winked at what they didn't know because they were living up to the love and life they had. Now he says, everybody repent. So we're getting close to the end here. <clears throat> 
Repent is defined as to change one's mind for better. So if you say, well, I've, I've tried to quit sinning and I can't. So if I can't, you can't. Well, it's time to change your mind for the better. It's time to repent. Heartily to amend with abhorrence, hatred of your past sins. It's time for a change of mind. Repent. You know what repenting means? If I'm living a life where I sin, and I sin and I say, Lord, forgive me, but I'll probably do that next weekend again. So now you'll just have to let me ask forgiveness again, and the next time also, and the next time also. And um, Lord, forgive me. Now, if you repent, a 180-degree turn means you don't see it, you don't think it, it isn't even tempting you. You've got something better going on. And now, when you're tempted, you say, are you kidding? Forget it. Now, God, Jesus, will forgive that sin. Because he knows the next time, you tr- the next time you're tempted, you're going to say, nah, I've been down that road before. I'm not going back. What does the Bible say? If you return to your sin, you're like a dog returning to your vomit. That's not going to be me, not anymore. I'm going to keep that walkway clean. But you have to have a requirement. In our own power, we've tried and failed. We need to, we need to join with Christ. We need that comforter. Let's see what else it says here. It says repent, okay? Now, that 180-degree turn If you don't make that 180 degree turn, pay attention because this is not mercy. This is justice. Hebrews 10, verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, and we've got it, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. So I'm telling you, once I know the right way, and I'm tempted and say, forget it, it's wrong. If I turn around and go back to my vomit, there's no more sacrifice for those habitual sins. Because it makes a mockery of Jesus. It's saying, I'm a Christian. Everybody saw me sin last weekend. Um, but I asked forgiveness. But here I go again. Jesus, you first? What do you mean? I've got stuff to do here. I'll be back later. It's a mockery. What kind of a Christian is that? Christian means Christ-like character. We had it before in the garden. We threw it away. He's calling us back to it. And we're in the middle. And we can't stay there forever. We've got to make up our minds. So, justice and mercy. Awake to righteousness. Quit sinning. Repent. Turn 180 degrees, or there's no more sacrifice for our sins. Now, if we stop sinning, this is, this is kind of sweet. If we stop sinning, the reward for sin is cursed because God has to reward the activity, the choice. And God cannot bless sin. So the reward is curse. So every time I'm tempted and I say, yeah, okay, I'll sin. Excuse me a minute, Lord, I'm busy. Um, My reward's going to be a curse. 
Satan knows that and he's laughing at me. Now if I slow down on the sinning and start doing what God's asking me to do, I'm slowing down the curses and building up the blessings because he promised and he can't lie. Satan knows this, but he doesn't want us to know it. So if we stop sinning, curse is replaced with blessing. Psalms 1, verse 1 through 3 says, Blessed, there's that blessing, we can have it, but Satan's stealing it. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor setteth in the seat of the scornful, but... His delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And he thinks on it all the time. He thinks, okay, I quit giving Satan my life to curse. I'm thinking on it with delight. I can add up more blessing into my life. If you seek first the kingdom of heaven and righteousness, all these other things will be added unto you and God can't lie. Here we go. It's a battle. It's a war. 6,000 years of it. And it's coming to a close. And this is why I'm talking to us as, we, as though we are maturing corn, coming into the fullness of Christ. Because that means our time is short. Take a look at the world, how fast it's getting darker. And he shall be like a tree. Here comes the mercy. Here comes the blessing. Blessed is the man. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water to flourish. That bringeth forth his fruit. It'll flourish with fruit. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now Satan can give you stuff and you might think you're a winner. But he's buying your soul. Because the package has poison in it. So if you want to prosper, just follow the God who cannot lie. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that, there it is, reconnect with him, love him. We've got to reconnect. Now, all too often... We think on the negative things in the Bible. Um, we hear about the negative things in the Bible, sin and suffering and all this stuff. God says think on the good things. We don't hear enough about the good things. So I put this in here so we could get a taste of something good. Author Ellen White in the book Maranatha, page 324 says, those who truly love God will desire to improve the talents he's given them and they may be a blessing to others. By and by the gates of heaven will be opened wide to admit them. And from the lips of the king of glory, the benediction will fall upon their ears like richest music. And this is what the Bible tells us. Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Matthew 25. Thus the redeemed will be welcomed into the mansions that Jesus is preparing for them. Now that's starting to sound good. There are companions that will not, uh, their, their companions will not be the vile of the earth that bring curse. But those who through divine aid, and there's a key, how to live holy requires 
divine aid. We need to reconnect with that loving relationship restored. Through divine aid, they have formed perfect characters. Well, perfect characters, are, it's not that hard, really, when you think about there's only ten laws, and all ten of them protect us. Every sinful tendency, every imperfection has been removed by the blood of Christ. There again, if we can't get sin out of our life, think about the blood of Christ. And in a minute, we'll take a close look at that and see the power of thinking on it. And the excellence. The excellence and brightness of His glory, far exceeding the brightness of the sun in its meridian splendor, that means noontime, is imparted to them. And the moral beauty, the perfection of His character, shines through them, not around us. The perfection of His character is beginning to shine through us. We lost it. It's beginning to come back. In worth far exceeding the outward splendor, they are without fault before the great white throne, sharing the dignity and privileges of angels. We share our lives connected with holy people, holy beings, angels. This, this could be interesting. I mean, if that was happening to us right now, I think I'd be a little nervous and a little excited. The soul redeemed and cleansed from sin. That's what God wants. That's what he's asking. Come back. Be redeemed. The soul redeemed and cleansed from sin with all its noble powers. Look noble up sometime. We've lost it. He wants us to have that nobility again. Dedicated to the service of God is of surpassing worth. Now it gets really good. To dwell forever in this home of the blessed, to bear in soul and body and spirit, not the dark traces of sin and the curse, but the perfect likeness of our Creator restored. And through, this gets really good, and through the ceaseless ages to advance in wisdom. Wisdom isn't stagnant, it advances. And to advance in knowledge and to advance in holiness. Even holiness isn't just a single thing that's stagnant. It increases. Ever exploring new fields of thought, ever finding wonders and new glories, ever increasing. It's getting better. Ever increasing in capacity to know. Ever increasing in capacity to enjoy. You ever had a good time? It's going to get better. Ever increasing in the capacity to love. You like to love? You like to be loved? It's going to increase. The depth, the value, the interest, the, the richness, no end. It's going to grow and increase. I think we ought to be there. Because I'd like to tell you about it. I'd like to ask you what you think. And knowing that there is still beyond us joy and love and wisdom, infinite. That is endless growth. Such is the object to which the Christian is pointing. So let's think on the good things occasionally. Because it whets our appetite to say goodbye to sin. Holy living is having his character. Now this is where we start to connect with the miracle. We need this, especially if we're the final generation. So take hold of this. Author Ellen White puts it this way. Divine power may combine with human effort. 
Now, we talk about grace and works. We'll, we'll touch on that in a moment from the one who cannot lie. But right now, she says, divine power may combine with human effort. And though and through Jesus, man may stand free, a conqueror. We've heard that before in God's word. Through the moral image of God, though the moral image of God was almost obliterated by the sin of Adam, through the merits and power of Jesus, it may be renewed. Man may stand with the moral image of God in his character, for Jesus will give it to him. So if we want to go and sin no more, we can't do it without Jesus' help, him in us. Unless the moral image of God is seen in man, he can never enter the city of God as a conqueror. The moral character of God is the white robe of righteousness that God gave Adam and Eve. And God gave Adam and Eve his image and his likeness, which is sinless, holy living, which is a white robe of righteousness. Righteousness provides the robe. It is a connection. It's the same thing. Now, Adam and Eve gave it up for sin. And, 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 and if you don't think so, listen to the next words. They were left naked. Their white robe was gone. And they knew it. And Satan knew it. He was happy. Because he lost his too. But here's the beauty of it. Jesus is offering it back. The Bible is filled with how to accomplish that. If we're going to read something, read God's word and the prophets, and it's like medicine for healing of the spirit. Okay, we might have injuries on our flesh, but our, our spirits are injured too. John 3, 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's the justice. You will not enter the kingdom of God. And where's the mercy? If you're born again. If, if Adam and Eve were born with a robe and it was lost, don't they need to be born again? And same thing applies to us. When as overcomers, we, this is author Ellen White once again, when we as overcomers shall be clothed in white remnant, help me Lord, we know that when our robe is removed and we're sinning, that we're covered by Christ's righteousness. In other words, sin and sinners blemish God's universe, and he's going to get rid of it in the lake of fire. We're only here today because Jesus covers us with his righteousness. Okay, but that isn't what this just said. When as overcomers we shall be covered? No, clothed in white remnant. Clothed. Are we getting it back? Is it gettable? The Lord will acknowledge our faithfulness as verily as in the days of the early Christian church when he acknowledged, and this has to do with Sardis, which was considered, they were considered dead, the living dead. 
They were not walking with God. He wasn't real happy with them. And this is a biblical statement where few names, few, even in Sardis, that bad city, that dead city, who had not defiled their garments, and we shall walk with him in white. For through his atoning sacrifice, we shall be accounted worthy. So even then, even there, some people had woke up. Some people had made a decision to quit eating vomit. Some people had decided that they'd been cursed so long in their life. If God says, if you break my law, I have to curse you. If you keep my law, I'll bless you. When you've swallowed enough curse, you may come to the point where you say, I know he told the truth about the curse. I'm living it. Is it possible he told the truth about the blessings? I've never tried it. I think I'll put him to the test. Oh, do the angels cheer. In view of these encouraging promises, how earnestly should we strive to perfect our character, to be redeemed, to come back home? That will enable us to stand before the Son of God. Only those who are clothed in the garments of his righteousness. There it is, clothed again. I think the covering comes to the point where when we're mature in the fullness of Christ, he gives us a, a robe again, which is his character. His character is simply keeping the law. There's only 10 of them. I mean, there's minor commandments too, but okay. Only those who are clothed in the garments of his righteousness will be able to endure the glory of his presence. Ooh, the glory of his presence. You can't, you can't be in the glory of his presence and endure. You can't take it. Where does it say that in the Bible? Oh, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So if we don't get that robe back, if we don't clothe ourselves in his character, we aren't going to be able to stand when he comes back. The wicked are destroyed by the brightness of his coming. They don't have their robes. It means so much to be an overcomer. The besetment of the enemy and all his evil agencies must be firmly resisted now this is part of getting that robe back. This is part of holy living. It's a necessity. Without it, it won't work. And this is where so many people say, well, I got baptized and nothing was better, so I quit going to church. Hang on now, listen close. Every moment we must be on guard. Every moment we must be on guard, not for one instant are we to lose sight of Christ. And of his power to save in the hour of trial. The power comes from Christ. The power comes from knowing Christ. The power comes from loving Christ. The power comes from loving his commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. There's power in it. Power between curse and blessing. Our hands must be placed in his that we may be upheld by the power of his might. If you are to sit at Christ's table and feast on the provisions he has furnished at the marriage supper of the Lamb, if 
Five virgins made it in and five didn't. You must have a special garment to get in called the wedding garment. And what is the wedding garment? It is the white robe of Christ's righteousness which covered us but will one day we'll be wearing it. It becomes our character. The one we had and threw away. Revelation 3 verse 4. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis which are dead which have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white. Whose garments? No, these are their garments. Ah, they got their garments back. And they're worthy. Now, the word white, these are white garments. It's kind of interesting to me because I thought white, uh, that's an English word. It wasn't written in English, but uh, white means to me white paper, white cloth, white bedspread, or white walls. This is white. So I looked up white. Leokos. It's Leokos. Sorry. The garments of angels and those exalted to the splendor of the heavenly state. What's that got to do with white cloth? White garments as the sign of innocence and purity of the soul. Those people in that dead town had garments. They were white. They were worthy. It was happening even back then. I mean, we stand here and say, well, I can't quit sinning. I mean, wait a minute. Get back in the Bible and pay attention. Revelation 3.21 To him that overcometh Overcometh what? You quit eating ice cream or something? I will grant to set with me in my throne. Now wait a minute. We're supposed to think on the good things. What can be gooder than in heaven setting on a throne with you know who? This is pretty good. I'm going to read that again. To him that overcometh Sin will I grant to set with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne. What a promise. What, what, a, what an invitation. What more can he offer? My goodness. Revelation 3, verse 5 says, and this is from the mouth of the God that cannot lie, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. Uh, he's not covered this time. He's wearing it. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. We are no longer under Jesus' robe. He has given us our own robe to be clothed in. This is redemption coming back, being restored. We are no longer naked as in the garden. We have fallen in love with him. We've fallen in love with this character, and it has become our own once again. We have been restored, redeemed. All I can say is thank you, Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, we're told that he might present it to himself. This is the church, a glorious church. When Jesus comes back to get the righteous dead and the righteous living, and, and that's his church, He's coming to get his church. It will not have spot or wrinkle or any such thing because it's matured. It's come into the fullness of Christ. These are the vindicators of God's law and God's 
character. No spot, no wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. God wins. Satan was a liar. And the whole universe is going to see this and cheer. And he's talking about us. Whoa. We're not saved by good works, but guess what? Good people do good works. So works count, because if you don't have good works, be careful. James 2, verse 17, let's see what it says. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead. We're saved by grace. We're saved by faith. It's not by works. But if we don't have good works, our faith is dead. Let's figure this one out. Yea, a man may say, you have faith, I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Because if I have faith, I'll be doing good works. And that'll tell you I have faith. See how it's connected? You believe that there is one God. Thou dost well. The devil also believes and trembles. You see, the, what he's saying here is the devil has faith. The devil believes, but he doesn't have good works. So works matter. But thou wilt, oh, uh, but wilt thou know, O oh vain man, that faith without works is dead. So that settles that. We'll have both. We need to commit ourselves to Christ through the indwelling presence of the power of the Holy Spirit with divine power enabling our efforts. Remember we've tried to quit sinning and can't? With divine power enabling our efforts, we will succeed in doing what is right. So we need to team up with our friend. In, in, check it out. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God? He gave it to you, and ye are not your own. You belong to Him. You are His property. Why? Because He dwells in you. Okay? So what we have is a choice between the Holy Ghost and the unholy ghost. If I walk in a store and steal, the Holy Spirit says, whoa, you're doing that without me, buddy. My, my temple is empty. And a devil can come in there. And that's what he's doing. He's saying, take it, take it. They won't catch it. Well, I've got one spirit or the other. Now, if I sweep him out, I'm told that if I don't get the Holy Spirit in there, he'll come back with seven more devils and I'll be worse off than I was before. What did I do wrong? I didn't do anything wrong. It's what I did not do. And what did I not do? I didn't ask the Holy Spirit to come in. He never pushes himself on you. He wants an invitation. You don't twist somebody's arm to love you. You have to ask, Lord, would you come in and dwell? And then he says, thank you. I thought you'd never ask. So, we need to commit ourselves to Christ and remember that we need to invite the Holy Spirit in or the unholy spirit will come in without permission. Believe me. 
Divine help is to be combined with human effort. Not even divine power can lift one soul to heaven. Why? Why can divine power not lift us to heaven? Because if I'm unwilling, I won't go. And the majority don't want to go. Wide is the gate and many there be that find it that leads to destruction. So not even divine power can lift one soul to heaven that is unwilling to put forth effort in its own behalf. And the effort may be just as simple as saying, okay, Lord, I agree. Then he comes in. Things start changing. And we'll wrap it up with this because what we're trying to do is figure out, can we live holy lives? What is it we need to be able to have that victory? Holy living requires that relationship with God to be restored, right? We need the character we threw away, the white garment, back again. And only God can give us that. Only if we ask and do what he's telling us. Go and sin no more. If, 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 I, if I look at the law and it says, Thou shalt not steal. Okay. Satan tells all of his friends. He's strict and he, he's commanding and demanding and blah, blah, blah. I want to steal. I want to steal. I want to be able to steal if I want to. Well... God's looking at us and saying, thou shalt not steal means I'm your father, you're my child, I love you. And if you steal, you're going to go to jail. And then you're going to be abused. And it's going to break my heart. I want you to keep my commandments. But if you want to steal, you can. It's not a restriction. It's a call of love to come home and walk with the holy angels. John 15, 13 is beautiful. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus did that for us. Is he a friend? Are we his friend or are we munching on vomit? <clears throat> okay. As we study his life for us at the cross... Our love for him grows. How does that happen? Think about it. Think about this. Here's God the Father, and here's a parent. God the Father says, you've sinned. I have to get rid of you and cleanse my universe. But I'm going to do you a merciful favor. I'm going to come down and die in your place to pay because I'm just. Somebody will pay. And yet, I'm immortal. I can't die. Um, how will we do this? I think I'll send my son, and he can be born in the flesh, because the flesh can die, to show that I'm willing to give all. And so in this, in this relationship, it broke the father's heart to let his son die when he didn't have to. You can imagine what Jesus went through. He could have stopped it too. But now put it in your lap. You're the parent. Somebody's going to kill your child. And you can stop it. You're going to let them scream and holler and die? Um, 
What about the child? Is the child going to sit there and say, Father, for you, I'll do this. For my people that I created, I'll do this. Or is that child going to get up and run? I mean, this is a hard experience for God and his son. A hard experience. It's a fantastic gift. The question is, are we going to appreciate it? What are we going to do about it? We're going to, well, the light shining from the cross reveals the love of God. His love is drawing us to him when we understand it. So go to the cross and study it. If we do not resist this drawing, we shall be led to the foot of the cross and we will repent. Repentance for the sins that have crucified our Savior. When we think it through what we've caused, it's like, oh my goodness, Lord, if it's possible, I'm sorry I wouldn't do it again. Please forgive me. I mean, we start to grow into that Christ-like character. Love begins to blossom. Then the Spirit of God, through faith, produces a new life in the soul. The thoughts and desires are brought into obedience to the will of Christ. The heart and mind are created anew in the likeness of him who works in us to subdue all things to himself. Now listen to these words. Then the law of God is written in the mind and the heart. The law of God is written in the mind and the heart. Does that sound like the new covenant? Hebrews 8 verse 10. For this is the covenant. Oh yeah. Let's see what it says. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be my people. You want to be his people? Then join the new covenant and let him write his law in your heart. If you love me, keep my commandments. Let's get back to what we fell from. Satan has stolen it. He has no right to it and he can't keep it if we wake up and go and sin no more. And time is running out. John 15.10. This is a, another beautiful consideration. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. There's the connecting link. That's what was broken in the Garden of Eden. You will abide in my love even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So the Father loves the Son, the Son loves us, and we all abide together. The link that was broken is restored, and it's his character. Revelation twenty-two fourteen: Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. This is the last thing I'm going to say. Remember, it says from a God who cannot lie, you can have the right to the tree of life. You can have the right to enter his city. How do you get that right? What's the little word that we always forget about little words? Little words are dynamite. If you keep my commandments, it says, Oh, Revelation 22, 14 says, Blessed are they that 
learn his commandments? Teach his commandments? No, 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 no. We have to fall in love, restore that relationship, and do his commandments because it's a delight. Now we're reconnected to supernatural power. Those, those, those apostles, those disciples, they went out and healed the sick and raised the dead. That wasn't their power. They had seen the light. They'd come home. Now, when we're in the city, this is the last thing I'll share with you. It's beautiful. We're in the city now, right? Because we figured out the formula. The loving relationship with our creator is restored. Thank you. I've got a robe of righteousness on now that is his character. I'm not under his righteousness. I'm wearing it. It's my robe now. I'm clothed in it. All right? Jesus will look upon his redeemed saints, their faces radiant with glory. Remember when Moses came down from the hill and they were fearful of looking on him because he was glowing? I mean, <laughs> that's the robe of righteousness. He was close to God for a little while. Anyway, it says here, their faces radiant with glory and with his loving eyes fixed upon them, with his rich musical voice, the king of kings will say, quote, I look upon those my soul suffered for. And behold, I am satisfied. How can God be satisfied with us? Oh, what a loving, patient God to give his life in our place. And the king of kings will say, I look upon those I suffered for, and behold, I'm satisfied. New heaven, new earth, let's get on with our living and have some fun. You want to be there? Well, if you're the last generation, it's time to get that robe of righteousness, that character in your heart. Let's do it together. God bless you all. Good night. prayer. We, we need to close with prayer. Father in heaven, your word is so powerful, so beautiful, so needful. Um, we need to really saturate ourselves in it and, and the, the closer we get to the end, the little time of trouble is probably already beginning and uh, we really need, we really need your direction. We need your love. We need your power. We need to be under your wing, Lord, under your robe until you teach us how to have that robe restored. And we live holy like the angels. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for paying the price for us. And thank you for the beautiful promises that we neglect to read and share. Help us now to think on the good things. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.